On episode 251 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to transform your backend with a seven-day system with Coach Peter Freeman. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. If you feel like you watch too many poachable balls whiz by you and you're like, ugh, I should have poached on that one, then you should check out the doubles playbook because inside there are 48 plays from Martina Navratilova and the Bryan brothers that show you how to set up easy put-away volleys and overheads. If you look at other sports, teams run plays. Football teams run plays to score touchdowns, soccer teams run plays to score goals, and basketball teams run plays to score baskets. When it comes to your doubles game, you can run plays to set up easy put-away volleys and overheads. If you go to tennisfalls.com slash doubles playbook, Martina Navratilova will personally show you one of her all-time favorite plays called the Prognosticator so you can see if the doubles playbook is right for you. I've used many of the plays from the doubles playbook in my doubles matches and think you should definitely take a look at it if you want to improve your doubles game. Just go to tennisfalls.com slash doubles playbook to check it out. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash doubles playbook to check it out right now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. It's really a pleasure to have you on listening. And today I have a fun interview with my friend Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching. If you listen to the podcast or attend my tennis summits, then you definitely know about Peter. He also hosts TennisCon, which is a great annual online event as well. And he creates fantastic tennis content on YouTube and premium content as well at his site, crunchtimecoaching.com. And today we have him talking about the backhand. And, you know, there's some specifics that he talks about with respect to practicing the backhand, but there's also the bigger picture as well of, you know, how to practice from a closed to open environment and how to ensure that you don't let match play get to you in the midst of changing your technique. So some of this is counterintuitive to maybe what you have heard other coaches talk about, but I definitely trust Peter's approach here and agree with it. So yeah, a lot of great stuff for you. And if you're ready to transform your backhand in seven days with a seven-day system, then in addition to listening to the show, you definitely want to check out the seven-day backhand challenge, which is totally free at tennisfiles.com slash backhand challenge. So if you go to that site and you'll see the link on the show notes page and you'll be able to join the seven day backhand challenge with coach Peter Freeman for free. And you also have the opportunity as well to pick up lifetime access to it for a one-time fee as well. And, you know, disclosure, I do get an affiliate commission to support tennis files if you do end up doing that but do whatever works for you. But I definitely would highly recommend that you check out the backend challenge. All right, with that, let's get into the interview. 
So here is my interview with Coach Peter Freeman on how to transform your backhand with a seven-day system. Hey everyone, I'm here with my great friend Peter Freeman to talk about how to transform your backhand with a seven-day system. Really excited to get into this. The backhand is a stroke that I have definitely uh, had my battles with over the years. All I do is try to hit forehands, but um, you know, with with Peter's great system and, and training, which we'll talk about a bit later on with his seven-day backhand challenge, uh, you're going to be able to do it the right way. So first off, Peter, thanks for joining. And how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I am really, really excited about my seven day backhand challenge. So we're going to get started next Monday. I believe that's May 23rd. So if you're listening to this before May 23rd, or even within that week, you can go to seven day challenge.com to sign up for free. Yeah, hundred percent. And we'll have a link uh, that we'll mention uh, later on. And also, I think in the intro, I'll mention it as well. So um, first off, Peter, um, just maybe from a general standpoint, before we get into the specifics, like what are some of the biggest pitfalls or mistakes that players make in regards to developing their one or two-handed backhand? Well, the biggest mistake that people make to me is that they are willing, unwilling to rinse and repeat which is a lot of what my challenge systems do. That's why we're calling it a seven-day challenge system. You know, we've all tried, I think most people out there have tried like a seven-day or 30-day weight loss challenge. And when you do that, it's great if you go do it for seven days and you'll probably experience where maybe you lose a pound or two and you start to feel more energy, you start to feel better, and you, you've changed some habits, you've changed some dietary habits that you know are the right thing to do. But if you stop after those seven days are over, we know what's going to happen. If you just go lay on the couch and start eating a bunch of Twinkies, the weight's going to come back, you're not going to feel as good, and that's going to be a failed project for you. So that's why my seven-day challenges, they're free to get you inspired, to get you to take action and to see the results. You're seeing the progress. You're seeing what's possible in advance, but they're designed to be a perfect practice template that when you rinse and repeat it and you go through it over and over again, that you can achieve steady Uh, growth in your game and in your backhand and that's what i really want to talk about on today's call awesome peter and and yeah why is it that people um tennis players don't end up like following through with um certain things like i know for instance you know sometimes you get a lesson like from a really good coach like yourself and then you'll have a couple of these changes you need to work on but then you know you don't end up following through and then you go back for the lesson like you know few weeks later whenever and then it's like the same same stroke over and over again so so many reasons but i think it really comes down to human nature and with so many things we do in life we know the right things to do but are we willing to go through and do them and when we really go through and do them in bite-sized chunks whenever you do something right and you do it in bite-sized chunks you you cut things down you realize that oh this isn't really that hard to do and it's totally manageable and I can do this. And you start to feel kind of in control of your life and there's a calm that comes over you. But too many of us in different aspects of our life, we're always trying to play catch up and it's frantic. We know that we're not 
doing it the right way, that we're just, you know, kind of catching up with ourselves. And that's why when you go into a match, you're not going to be able to play like you practice because you're going to know that you haven't really taken all the right steps. And plus in tennis, there is so much to work on, you know, even within the backhand, there's just so many different shots that you need to work on to hit good backhands. And then you got to factor in the serve, which is another whole project. And then your forehand then strategy and then your fitness. and coming. So it's a lot to where it can be overwhelming if you're not really sticking with your, your, your systems. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So speaking of systems, let's get into that. Actually, you know, first off, I want to ask you about, you know, the importance of your practice and, you know, the closed versus open environments. Can you walk us through? Because I know that that's a big thing that we've actually talked about uh, maybe before. I forget if it was on the summit or otherwise, but like, can you talk about that concept and why it's so important to developing you know, our backhands and just it, strokes just in general? Yeah. And that's going to be key to the success. And that's why I want to talk so much about, you know, I even just ran a hyper-focused camp this weekend, which, which we had three players out. Uh, there's only four max allowed to come. And what I tell them is all weekend, we're going to practice each stroke in a closed to an open environment. And very few people know what that means when I ask them, because before I tell them, I ask them, what does that mean? And most people don't know. But this is the secret sauce. This is what the pros are willing to do over and over again, is that a closed environment is very controlled. And the more variables you can take away from your practice, the more you can focus on your specific movements, technique, and start to achieve technical mastery. Okay. So the ultimate closed practice would be a shadow stroke. And a lot of recreational players don't buy into how powerful this can be. And I've been preaching it for years, but now I think I have the ultimate proof of how powerful it can be. If you go watch King Richard, go mm -hmm. watch King Richard and you will get a great tennis lesson because watch the ladies hit the ball. The ones who played Venus and Serena, not Venus and Serena, the ones who played them. It was the first time I went to a movie and was not embarrassed by the tennis. Normally, I'm like, I can't look at this. This is so bad. And it's just killing what anybody would think about tennis. Well, they actually look pretty good. So I assumed that they were junior players at least. And they had never played before. Mm. And then I became very intrigued. I'm like, how did these girls look so good and they never played before? That's incredible to me. And then I saw the young lady who played Venus in an interview. And she said that her coach, especially when they're learning how to serve like Venus, didn't let her hit a ball for two and a half months. All they did was work on shadow stroke technique, getting each piece correct, get, not only look like a great serve, but to look like Venus's serve before she was allowed to hit the ball. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. If you can't do it without the ball, magic's not all of a sudden going to happen when you throw up the ball. In fact, more bad habits are going to come. So you've got to get a shadow stroke down and look like your favorite player before you think you're able to introduce a ball and all of a sudden you're going to look like Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic hitting your backhand. Yeah, I love yeah. that, Pete. I mean, for me, shadow strokes are just essential to uh, stroke technique. I mean, 
like I'll sometimes do up to like four or five shadow swings before I hit a ball, maybe even more. Um, and that'll like help me correct my initial technique. Cause once you toss that ball up there, then, you know, a lot of times you just automatically go back to your, your previous technique and it's just muscle memory and all that stuff. So you got to train the muscle memory uh, with shadow strokes first before any pressure uh, is involved. And then how, for, what's the progression that you like to employ in, in your system, you know, once you hit up the, uh, or once you're done with the, um, shadow swings and maybe you're not ever done with it. Maybe you go back sometimes, but what, what's the progression? Well, that, that's one key. Uh, before we get into the progression, you just hit on something big, then you go back to them. And this is what pros are willing to do that mm. recreational players are not willing to do. This is what juniors are forced to do. Maybe they don't always want to do it, but the good juniors do it on their own. That again, recreational adult players don't seem to buy into that much. If you go look on YouTube, you go look on Instagram, you go look at the Australian Open when all the people are under quarantine and see all the videos of professional athletes shadow stroking in their hotel room or in a gym. You can find countless videos. Dominic Theme immediately comes to mind because I've seen a bunch of videos of him doing that. Maria Sicaria also, I'm sure you can find a lot if you just like start to Google them and look at their videos on YouTube and them training. So they're doing that. Then they're being introduced to the next progression would be hand feeds. Okay. So hand feeds is another pretty controlled environment to where there's not that much going on where the coach is right next to you and you can really focus on individual pieces of the stroke. And then from there, you know, your coach might go and take the cart and start to feed it out of the basket. Then you guys might start rallying to eventually you're playing a match where you're in an open environment. And we're going to talk a little bit about the biggest mistake people do when they're trying to learn something new when they go from closed to open so that your audience don't don't make this mistake because it, it is so bad, not only for your technique, but also for your mind. It can cause your mind to shut down. It can get you frustrated. It can get you to give up on a new idea. It can even be so bad that it makes you quit playing tennis, literally. And, and, and you think that there's something wrong with you when what's happening to you is completely natural, normal, but you don't have either the wisdom or the maturity to understand that, that there's nothing wrong with you and this is completely natural and normal and will happen to everybody who tries to do it this way. Peter, uh, I pretty much, I don't, I can't wait because, you know, you just dangle that Karen in front of me. I mean, is there anything else you want to hit on before talking about the mistake or do you want to just talk about it? <laughs> well, I, I want to talk a, a little bit about, again, when you do the closed environment, that it's so important to understand that this is where you need to break things into micro progressions as well. So before we even get into an open environment and try and do a full swing, like in my challenge, I will start often, not every time I do a challenge do I start the same way, but often I start near the end of the stroke or near the contact point. And again, another big mistake that people make is like, okay, shadow stroke. So I got to do this and then do that and then do that and then hit a ball. Or I got to get the racket back and boom. Like in my... Um, First day of my challenge, we're teaching you how to hit a topspin backhand. And a lot of people struggle to hit topspin where they have a one-hander or a two-hander. And this challenge is for one-handers and two-handers. We got different videos for them. And I start 
from the contact point, right from the point of contact, and then getting the perfect follow through. And then eventually we get to the full swing. And that's super important because there's so many little steps that you need to master, that you need to think through, that maybe don't come so pretty in the beginning, but you've got to go through that stage of being unconscious and incompetent to conscious and competent, and then finally eventually come out the other side where you have unconscious competence, which in layman's term is just doing without thinking. But that takes a while. Yeah. And um, can you go through those, um, you know, those different stages um, of, you know, from uh, <laughs> I mix them up sometimes, but, you know, the the competence scale, like how you, you know, the four. Yeah. So so basically. Where it would be unconscious incompetence means that you don't even you're not even aware of it. And 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 you can think, well, I know what a backhand is, but there might be something I bet you if you go through the challenge. There might be something I show you about the backhand where you're like, I didn't even know that. I never even thought about that. No one said it that way. So it's a new idea to you. And then you might go out to the the court. Like, for example, there's this one guy who's doing the challenge. His name's Steven. And he did the first drill, which is pretty clear. I like lay out towels, but it's new to him. And and he sends me a video because you can send in videos within the challenge. And his feet are in opposite directions. He's basically staying the exact opposite of how I want him to stand because it's a new concept to him. So he even thinks he's gay, but he doesn't, he doesn't know that he's not doing it right. So that's, that's unconscious incompetence. Then the next video, he sends me, he's in the right stance, but I can see him thinking through the shot. And he also left out a vital piece of, of, of when to transfer the weight in. So he still doesn't have it down, but now he's aware that he was doing it wrong and now he's thinking his way through it. So he's in the beginning stages getting to uh he's go he's gone from where it's unconscious incompetence. You can get out of there really quick because then because all of a sudden you start to go into conscious incompetence. Now you know. So that can happen fast. Like all that is a light bulb moment. Oh I get it now but you still might not be able to do it. And then kind of quickly you can move into the beginning stages of conscious competence. This is a very frustrating stage because like you're thinking about it and you can do it, but it's like, it's like you're solving a really tough math problem and it's so hard to do and it locks you up. So this is where we're kind of getting to the biggest mistake. It's like, you're really having to think about it. And then, but you're so eager to see if it's actually going to work in a match, especially when you move a little bit further, the, the, the most dangerous part of the learning process to me is when you kind of get almost mid-range into conscious competence because now you're getting excited. You're hitting the ball well. You're doing it in practice. You're showing your coach. Your coach is like, oh, my God, you've got it, you know, but you're thinking about it a lot still, but you're executing. So you're like, I can't wait to try this in a match. This is going to be awesome. But you're still not enough out of the woods to where you go out and all of a sudden you lock up because you're still trying to think point A, point B, point C, and then you're playing a match and your stroke falls apart. And then you start to think, well, you know, my coach is just buttering me up. And yeah, I guess I can kind of do it in practice, but this is just not meant for me. Once a match comes, I just don't have it in me to do this. So I'm going to go back to my old stuff. 
And this is where the biggest practice mistake happens. So I want to next talk about how to navigate through that whole thing. Yeah, just before we do, I mean, I have experienced, you know, all these stages, of course. But yeah, it's it's an interesting phase where, like, you 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 get it maybe a couple times, like three out of five times, you get the the right technique, and then it feels so good. But then it's a struggle, you know. Maybe you go out there and you serve some balls, and then you know, towards the end of the practice, you kind of tail back off, and then it's frustrating. You're going back and forth, back and forth, and then sometimes you just end up you know saying forget it and 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 you just go into your old habits and then also just you know when you play a play a match and then that's extremely difficult and then now you're thinking about your technique more so than you know the strategy and then in the end you revert again and then <laughs> it's really tough so yeah i just wanted to put that out there but yeah peter let, let's now go into that um you know that big mistake and how to uh how to combat it yeah so when you're going through this conscious competence stage, usually the first very good feelings, you're still in a very controlled environment. You know, you're out there with your coach uh, or maybe even you're by yourself and hopefully you're videoing yourself and and, and you see yeah. that you're getting it right and, and it feels good, but you're still getting fed from a ball machine or from a hopper or from a hand, or maybe you're doing very light, easy hitting to where the coach is like putting the ball on your racket. So you're starting to experience the success, which it's not fool's gold. You are improving. You're getting better. You are now actually doing it in a controlled environment. And don't take that victory lap away from yourself because you weren't able to do it at one point. Now you're actually doing it and you got to give yourself credit. But you also have to understand that when you go to the ultimate open of a match environment, that now all of a sudden, everything's the Wild West. Someone's trying to beat you. They don't want you to win. Because remember, when they lose to you, they're having a terrible day. Just like if you lose to them, you're having a terrible day. So, so they want to beat you real bad. And they're, they want to give you tough shots. They want to create a stressful environment. So you know that. So you're getting stressed. The wind is there. The sun is there. Balls are bouncing low. Balls are bouncing high. Balls are coming faster than you're used to. And you're still trying to think because you haven't achieved this unconscious confidence yet. You're not even really close. So you're trying to think about all this stuff and your stroke starts to absolutely have a meltdown. Okay. And then you go into the worst tennis of your life and you kind, your mind kind of shuts down because now you just feel so defeat, defeated because you were so excited to use it. And this, you have to understand, is completely normal and natural. And actually, in the very beginning stages of conscious competence and even into the mid-range of conscious competence, I don't even want you attempting the technique you're learning in my seven-day backhand challenges. Or if you're not even going to do my challenge, if you have a great coach named Fred or Sue or whatever, if they're teaching you something new. Don't go out there and expect that you're going to do it in a match. What I want you to do, so, so also from a closed environment to an open environment, the more closed it is, the more aware and nitpicky I want you to be. I want and expect perfection over time. You know, if you do my seven-day backhand challenge and you commit to it for 30 days and you commit to it religiously, I expect you to look pretty darn good perfect almost on a shadow swing then on a hand feed 
or a simple, really slow ball machine or tossing the ball against the wall. Again, I want you to look perfect. If you're not looking great, you're not doing your job. But I don't want you thinking about this at all when you're playing a match. So the more open things come, you start to forget about what you're learning and just use what you know works for you in a match. Mm. Because, because the more you rinse and repeat the system, eventually the new stuff is going to replace mm. the old stuff. Mm. Okay? Just like they teach new math. If you, if you know old math and you keep doing – you're doing old math, right? And then they keep teaching a new math. You keep, well, maybe the first time you take a test, you should still use the old math way of solving equations, right? But if you keep doing the new math – and I'm not sure if the new math or the old math was better because I'm terrible at math. I'm just using an example. Over time, you're going to learn how to do the new math better, and that's going to make more sense to you over time to then take the test. And you're just going to want to use that in your test because it just becomes easier. You replace the old system. And that's what my challenges are about, trying to replace the old system, replace it with a new, better system. One plus one is 11, and I'm sticking with it, Peter. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not at all endorsing the new math because I hear from different teachers. Some teachers I've talked to said, well, the new way is worse. And some people say, no, the new way is better. And so it's not like, so if you're there and you're going, well, the new way is stupid. I'm not at all saying what way is better, but I think you understand the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> yeah, of course. I was joking around, Peter. Um, but yeah, that is a, a really interesting and very um, maybe counterintuitive, if that's the right word, concept. And I love these sorts of, you know, things that, that you know, arise from people's, um, you know, studying the game. Because, like, it's, it is definitely totally the opposite. Like you mentioned, like, people, they put too much pressure on themselves to do it in a match. And that just makes them crumble. And then it also gives them such negative um it's not the right word but you know like they lose confidence no you're right and then that just breaks it down and maybe they're like oh this just isn't for me it's not working in a match so i'm gonna stop um whereas you're saying you know what just when you're practicing in the the closed environment get that shadow swing perfect and you know the progressions like make sure they're really really good but in the match just do your thing and then eventually be able to replace um it through you know in the, in the match. But I mean, just, just to be play devil's advocate. Um, what about those that say, well, how are you ever going to have the confidence to use it in a match? If you never, you know, try to, you know, um, while you're developing it. Cause when your body becomes trained to do a certain thing and enjoys doing it, it's going to want to do it under pressure when it starts to become automated. That's how. You know, I, I even got to interview Jim Courier with Gigi Fernandez and and she asked him, you know, how do you how do you play, you know, like you do in practice? That specific question, you know, how do you hit those shot, great shots under pressure? He goes, well, you know, the answer, Gigi, automate. And the difference between you might say, well, I automate. I do go out and practice a lot, but. I've had a lot of people come visit me who love tennis been playing their whole life. They rarely practice the exact way that I teach in these systems. They rarely do it and are willing to go back and do it again, you know? And then the other thing is, is yes, once you start to get through and you realize that you're getting on the other side of conscious competence, conscious competence is a long stage, okay? And sometimes you even revert back to it. As a teaching pro, I know tennis like the back of my hand. If I'm gonna go play a match, 
guess what? Since I haven't been there, I haven't been thrown out to the wolves and played a match. I don't, I'm not match tough. I'm not in the best shape of my life, right? I don't have the best timing right now. I'm willing to admit that because I'm not, I'm practicing on being a better coach. I think I get better and better at being a coach because that's what I'm doing all day, every day. I'm able to articulate my ideas better. I'm able to make videos better. But if it's playing, I'm right back into conscious competence. And I will not perform as well as if I'm training and start to get back into unconscious competence. So if you're getting out of the mid-range and over, like you're like 75% now in conscious competence, now you can start to do things like this. Today, I'm going to hit, you know, because you want to have nice, simple goals. Let's say you're playing somebody with a very weak second serve. And I teach you how to hit. Maybe, maybe you haven't ever hit a really good chip and charge play before in doubles. But you're going to try my chip and charge play that I teach you inside the seven-day challenge. You're like, I'm going to try that three times today. Just three times. Everything else, just play the way you play. So now all of a sudden, it's not this. I think what people do is they get overwhelmed. Because, I mean, even when I was playing good tennis, I don't know how many times I would say to myself wrongly, damn it, you're going to hit every ball today hard. You're just, you're going to hit every ball, man. What a beast. That never <laughs> turned out well for me. Rarely, right? Yeah. When I played well, usually I was training at a very good level and I had a certain amount of confidence to where I could go out there and play freely. And there wasn't this pressure of, you're going to stop doing this. You're going to do it this way. Because as soon as you let yourself down, which is tennis is the ultimate problem solving sport. The minute you run into a problem you're, and, and you don't execute what you said you were going to do, you don't keep your promise you start to then beat yourself up. And then you start to do the exact opposite. Then you start doing what you promised yourself you weren't going to do. So I believe more in taking the pressure off, slowly implementing into your game, then you can be, all right, that worked pretty well today. Now I'm going to try five chip and charge, 10 chip and charge. Now all of a sudden you're not even playing a number on it. You're just like, this is the score. It makes sense to chip and charge now. It makes sense to come over the ball and rip it. My, my, my approach shot footwork is now instead of going there, stopping, hitting, and then getting stuck in the midcourt, I'm moving up to the ball in a flow. I'm hopping through my shot. By the time I'm finished, I'm in winning position. The stuff just all starts to happen on autopilot if you're willing to do the work. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Peter. So if someone has the luxury of, I guess if it's luxury of like saying, you know what, like I'm willing to not play matches um, for a while as well, because I guess another question uh, inside that is like, when you do play a match and you're in that like conscious competence phase where you can like go back and forth, um, do you delay your progress significantly if you play matches like would it be better for somebody to if they really want to make a big change to their serve to say you know what let me just stop playing for a couple months 
Um, is that something you'd advocate or what are your thoughts on that? I don't think that's a bad idea at all. It all depends on how long and it all depends on what you want. You know, if you enjoy league matches and that's what you really like to do, I wouldn't suggest that you take a whole season off. You know, if you have a break for a couple of months, there's no league matches and you want to work on a new stroke. I think that's a great time to do it. But again, don't expect that all of a sudden you're going to come back and be perfect. I think this is the biggest pitfall, you know, because what you need to do, I love to compare this to, you know, bringing something to market. Okay. So I got this thing right here. It's, it's cool. It lights up. It has steam come out. It makes the room smell good. All right. So at some point, somebody thought of this idea. They thought it. They thought, man, that'd be nice to have this thing kind of looks cool. It lights up. It's got smoke coming out. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh yeah. That'd be really nice. You should, you should make that. Okay, cool. You can't just go, I got this idea, and then you bring it to Walmart and say, here, sell this, right? What do you got to do? You got you to make a prototype, right? That probably took a while. Who knows how long it even yeah. takes to make a prototype? Now you're working on building your stroke in a closed environment. That's what you're doing. Then what happens is you go, okay, this one's pretty good. Let's, let's actually put a couple of these not, let's not bring it to Walmart yet. Let's put it into some specialty shops and let's just give them a handful and let's see if we can sell it. Let's see if people bring it home and the thing doesn't break or, or catch on fire or anything like that. You know, oh, that worked pretty well. They sold, no one returned it or maybe it didn't go well. Maybe, maybe it's, they sold some, they got returned. So then they got to go back to the drawing board, you see? And then eventually they get confident. We're like, oh, you know what? Let's, this is actually doing well. Let's, let's, let's sell it to more specialty stores. Let's, let's give them 50 a store. And then you keep building. You see, that's how I suggest you bring it to where all of a sudden it's fully implemented into a match. So I don't think it's a good idea to A, just go, you know what? I'm just not going to play league tennis until I, um, you know, master this thing. Because then again, you're putting all kinds of pressure on yourself. You're probably going to get antsy to get in the league tennis, or you're going to lose your match toughness, which you'll have to build up. So taking a couple of months off to learn something is fine. Taking a year or two off to learn something, I don't suggest. And you need that time in your practice matches and in your league matches to test it and say, I'm just going to try this a handful of times a day. See how it goes. Observe how it goes. You know? Don't go home and say, I'm a failure, you know, like what if this person made this and he sold it a couple times and then, you know, people are like, yeah, this is really cool. If it would have worked, it would have been great, but it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, damn it. I forget it. I give up. And that's what a lot of tennis players do, to be honest. If I'm being brutally honest, that's what a lot of people do. They have a great idea. I'm going to learn a new serve. I'm going to learn a new backhand. Let me try and get it. They try it. Doesn't work. Oh, this must be a bad idea. I quit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and sometimes it's kind of hard to know, especially if you're you're practicing on your own, like concepts that you learn, whether something is actually going to work. Like I know in, in like weightlifting and other disciplines, like sometimes you have to, like they say, like on the thousandth strike, you know, that's when something actually, you know, the stuff breaks and then, you know, you win. So you could be striking it like 9999 other times and nothing happens. But then on that thousandth try, then you then it'll happen for you. So sometimes we don't know whether it's something is working, I suppose, uh, if that's accurate in tennis occasionally. So when do you end up kind of 
knowing like when to stop like trying a technique versus um you know to keep going versus stopping it because it's not going to work well my favorite coaching line ever is from rick macy he says persistence on is undefeated yeah and i totally believe that persistence undefeated and tennis is always a moving target too so you're never going to fully you're never going to fully have it mastered i mean we look at the pros and we think they've got it mastered and figured out but even rafa before he won the australian open he was being interviewed on a yacht it's pretty cool you can look it up on youtube and he's yeah. coming back from his foot injury now the poor guy seems to have it again yeah. But the guy was asking him, are you ready? And he goes, I never feel ready. He's like, maybe that's what makes me so successful. He's like, I train uh, and I train and I always feel like it's not enough. You see? So there's your answer right there. If you keep training, the, all the pros are going to train in the correct system because they're pros. Because they know from growing up their whole life what's right. And then they know how to hire a coach that knows the right way to coach them. So they have the confidence that they are following a correct system. And if they keep rinsing and repeating that system, they know that eventually they're going to start to play good tennis. They don't know what day that's on. You know, you've got the, you know, the thousand strike rule, the, the 10,000 hour rule. That's, that's good, but it's, it's just not a straight answer. You know, and I think some people get so analytical. They're like, ah, oh, hour 10,000. Here it is. I've got it. Right. Because <laughs> there's some people that learn faster than other people. So, you know, you might pick it up faster than me, Maribon, or you might pick it up slower. It really doesn't matter. It's the person who is willing to keep doing it over and over again and enjoys the process of learning. So the more, if you do my challenges, don't do them to get a UTR rating or a USTA rating behind my behind your name. Do it to enjoy the art of tennis. And the more you actually enjoy the art, art of the moves and making sure that they're perfect and you like to do it, you like to walk around your house shadow stroking, you love when someone feeds you a handball, you love hitting on the ball machine, you love videoing yourself. If you love all that stuff, the technique is going to come but then also you've got to have that patience and separate the two that, yes, getting it and doing it and looking good is not the same as executing a match. And I think that that's where people get frustrated. Like, I look so much better, especially in practice. Like, I practiced with Jenny this week and my, my coach even said, your strokes are so nice and Jenny's strokes are disgusting. Then I went out and played with Jenny and she kicked my butt because – Jenny's strokes are a lot easier to execute under pressure. All Jenny's got to do is this. And the ball's going over the net. You're trying to do this, right? And you're starting to get it. And that's why your coach is proud of you. But it's going to take more work before it's ready to sell at Walmart. That's right. Gotta love Walmart. <laughs> Peter, this is amazing stuff. Really love the passion too. Can hear it quite easily. Before we move on, well, I guess I, I want to ask you about like any specific practice mistakes that players are making for the, the one or two-handed backhand. But is there anything else that you wanted to cover in terms of, you know, the close and open environment um, before we move on to that? No, I think I think we're kind of getting there. I think I think 
hopefully the idea is crystallizing in people's brains and 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 more importantly is hopefully that they are buying in yeah yeah definitely and um i mean i'm i'm buying in it's all great stuff here so with respect again to um you know the one and two ended back end, are there any specific practice mistakes or just general mistakes that we're making with that stroke um that's not allowing us to maximize our improvement and or, you know trying to transform our back end well in general you know whether you have a one-hander or a two-hander it can tend to get bullied around so the preparation is key so you got to make sure that you're hitting the checkpoints in your unit turn and notice i said unit turn because a lot of people will bring their arms back so then they're going to end up arming the ball and the footwork when, once you're oh, yeah, moving yeah. your upper body well your upper body is connected to your lower body but it's also the footwork patterns to the ball that are going to be so key to being able to play more in a flow okay which is again why you have to keep going close and open close and open because you want to get to where you're feeling like you're dancing so another big mistake is that you know, as you work your way from a close to an open, you got to start implementing footwork patterns and drills into your movements so that you're not out there playing golf, right? And I think that's because tennis is so technical, you know, there's a lot of people out there playing tennis like they're golf players. And that, again, makes you not hit good shots because when you're practicing, you're just practicing, you know, kind of standing still and going through the technique. But then you've got to move. You got to move up. You got to move back. You got to move forward sideways. So it's also practicing that. And the more you start to practice that the right way, you have you think less about what you're doing to stroke the ball, and you're more in a rhythm of dancing and moving. And so you can play in a flow. This is how people start to play in what they call the zone. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really interesting to me, you know, how it all starts with with the footwork, because, you know, I like you said, I record myself often, which is so key. And I look at the forehand, the footwork's pretty good. I'm not going to say, you know, maze or anything, but it, it's good. Get into position, you know, able to hit the ball. Then I look at the backhand footwork and a lot of times I'm not quite as set and I'm having to like reach for the ball. And, um, I mean, it really all starts there. And if you're not in position for the ball, then how can you have, uh, you know, the rest of the technique go well? So I would definitely encourage you all, if you're having issues with a particular stroke or the back end, try to pay attention, first of all, to your footwork and see, are you in position? So that's that's great stuff there. And then, yeah, it's, it's really all about, you know, the the unit turn. And because and, a lot of people, like like we all see, you know, they, they're moving their arms first instead of... Um, you know, their unit, uh, their core, their, you know, uh, hips and whatnot um, to lead and uncoil. So got to love that. And then, um, Pete, any uh, tips for practicing for sustainable growth? Yes. Here's the biggest thing. This this might be where we might even want to end a marathon because this this is this is so, so true. The toughest part of being a coach is to get your students to believe what you know to be true. And, and that is, is, is really hard to unpack for the student because the student might go, well, I believe you, coach. I mean, everything you said makes sense. I, I believe you. I, yes, I believe that you're right. You know, made complete sense. 
But that's not really what I'm talking about because, again, I could sign up and take personal training, fitness training. The guy gives me a workout plan or the, or the woman gives me a workout plan and, and gives me a, a meal plan. And they know, they absolutely know that if Pete follows this to the letter, he's going to get fit. He's going to get shredded. He's going to feel great. He's going to lose weight. He's, all kinds of health benefits are going to come. And I believe that they're right. But the belief has to go deeper than that. You have to believe and know that you're going to follow through on the plan. And that's where the real magic happens. When you accept the responsibility of not only going, yes, this is right, but you start to build the confidence in that I'm going to do this from hell to high water. And that's how, that's how, you know, a very small percentage of people can go from, you know, 80 pounds overweight to all of a sudden they look like they're should be in a men's or women's health magazine. Because at one point they hit this thing to where they bought in hundred percent and they're like, I'm following the system over and over again. I know it works. I know it works and nothing can stop me from doing it. That's when the student and the coach achieve greatness. Mm, love that. So any other thoughts that, um, you know, maybe I didn't cover today that you just want to kind of wrap up with in terms of, um, you know, just being able to transform your back end with a seven day system before we uh, let the audience know again about how to join the seven day back end challenge. I think it just gets started. I mean, I honestly do. I, I think, you know, the, if they're still listening that they get it and then it just is all about the questions they have in their head. You know, can I do it? Will I do it? And the only way to know is to get started. And, and the other thing too is, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who, when you, whenever you look at any success journey, you know, everybody just looks at the finished product, but usually along that journey, there's setbacks, there's roadblocks, there's obstacles. And most of the obstacles are self-inflicted. So even the people that you look at as, as super successful, you know, many times, not just one time, have probably fallen down and maybe have told themselves, I can't do it. This isn't for me. I'm not good enough. But there's something inside them that keeps getting back up. And then the more times they get back up, the more times they believe in themselves that they can do it, that they can actually achieve. And so if you do my challenge and you go through day one or two, and then all of a sudden, you know, the week hits and you're like, oh my God, I, I completely let that whole week go by and didn't do it. That's why I always suggest to get lifetime access. There's nothing, there's no, nothing keeping you from turning it on the next week and the next week. You know, I understand that life gets in the way that, you know, you might get injured. You might just have a super busy week with work or kids or whatever. But it's, it's about coming back and coming back and coming back and then finally getting in your groove, in your rhythm. Awesome. Love that, Peter. And uh, just to let everybody know, um, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash backhand challenge to join the challenge for free. And then like we definitely recommend um, to get the lifetime access pass to it. So you can go to it over and over again. Um, but yeah, that link is also in the show notes page. And Peter, uh, any 
uh, you know, links or social media sites or anything like that where you want the audience to go to check you out as well? Well, if you just go to YouTube, you type in Peter Freeman tennis, you know, on YouTube or crunch time coaching. Um, that's a great way to kind of see my style on court. If you've never seen it before, if you're listening for the first time and you've never really watched my videos, then you can decide if you like my style or not. If you, and, and so if you do, then usually within one of those email, uh, one of those, um, videos, I'll offer to give you something for free, which you'll get on my email list. Then you'll get on my VIP email list. And then you'll, you'll be able to see all these challenges and then ways to train with me and then great videos I do with Maribon and, and other coaches. Um, so that's the best way to get started with me, I think. I love it. Love it. Thanks, Peter. And again, uh, definitely check out that seven day backhand challenge to transform your backhand at tennisfiles.com slash backhand challenge. Uh, all right, Peter. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. I always love having you on, you know, like you mentioned, we've done so many sessions over the years on the summit and the podcast and, uh, you're definitely, um, you know, one of the most frequented guests, and that's for a reason because you're a great coach and great guy as well and really enjoy just, you know, chatting with you and uh, hanging out and hopefully I'll uh, visit you in Atlanta one of these days. But, yeah, yeah. definitely um, really appreciate your time and uh, really excited and looking forward to the seven-day back-end challenge. I've been working on mine a lot. I actually uh, – been, been in Orlando for a little bit and I, I did get a lesson at the USA National Tennis Center and, and you know, they were working on the backhand, but I want to compare, you know, what they told me to your challenge. So that, that's going to be fun. But um, yeah, thanks a lot, Peter. And uh, looking forward to uh, chatting with you very soon. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mirabon. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. All right. I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Coach Peter Freeman. And again, highly recommend that you check out and join the 7-Day Backhand Challenge at tennisfiles.com slash backhandchallenge, or you can check the link in the show notes page as well and just click on it. And it does start on Monday the 23rd, I believe. Yes, double check my calendar there. So you definitely do want to hop on it and try to get in as soon as you can. Of course, if you listen to this episode, in the future after it happens and you can still check out that website and you know depending on the timing maybe it's open maybe it's not um you know because uh, i think peter might end up doing another one in the future but yeah you definitely do want to check it out and again tennisfiles.com slash backhand challenge and in addition to that i just want to leave a quote with, with you as i often do at the end of the show and this one is by benjamin franklin although i think alan lakin also has mentioned this but uh, the quote is, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So that's a big one for me. I definitely am on the spectrum of needing to prepare as much as I can so that I can be ready to maximize my performance. So really like that one. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, and please leave a review at tennisfiles.com slash Apple Podcasts or in your podcast app of choice that you use to listen to the show. All right, with that, thanks again so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is your host, Mirabon Aranshad, signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.